Hey everyone, welcome to the Gatekeepers Podcast. In this episode, Gus Robayo teaches on why being grounded in the love, word, and nature of God is so essential and important. If you want to know more about Gatekeepers, visit gatecityatl.com slash gatekeepers. Enjoy. I'm going to pray for, my, for myself as well, oh, not for myself, for the word. And then I'm going to talk to you, if it's okay, just a few minutes about who I am, just to give you an introduction, because I think most of you don't really know much of my story, and I think a little bit of what I want to share with you is going to give a backstory about what we're going to talk about. And if anybody in here takes notes, I'm sorry, I'm not like Billy, I wrote them down, you're not going to get it on the group me, all right? And if, even if I were to take a photo of it, my notes don't make sense, because it's just two words that remind me of what I wanted to say. So it's not going to help you, okay? You can, you can try. You want to try, Madeline? But you got to tell me the truth this time. There we go. We got it. All right. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for those that are here as our guests, Lord. We ask even right now, Lord, whether, whether or not they know you, I just ask that you would speak to them. Make yourself known and real to every single one of our hearts. Help us, Lord. It is crucial for us to know you and to love you. Holy Spirit, would you do what you do best and take that which belonged to Jesus and make it known to us. Lead us into all truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, for your sake, I titled it, and it's called Beholding Jesus for Longevity. And before I go there, I am 36 now. Um, thank you. 36. Do I look younger or older? Don't answer that one. Um, if you say older, I actually enjoy that. I actually, I, I want to be older. Anyways. Um, I was eight when I got to the church because I was forced. It, I was, we were living in L.A., and there was a massive earthquake, and it was just so easy to evangelize people. My mom got evangelized, and she came into the church, and I was brought by force. And I am grateful now. I hated it then. I dreaded it then, but I'm grateful now that I was forced. And that was 1994, before maybe almost all of you. And I was, <laughs> I know, <laughs> your laugh is going to distract me in a good way. It's so good. And I kept hearing about Jesus. I kept hearing about the word. I saw miracles. I said all, all that. And it was just, he was just the God of my mom and the God of the church and not my own personal relationship, Jesus. And it was not until so many things happened in the midst of all that. But November 26, 2005, I was leaving work. And you're going to laugh when I was, for, for some reason, it's a joke to people when I tell them this. I was working that year at Chuck E. Cheese, and the common question I get is, were you Chuck E? Yes, I was. <laughs> and I was also Helen, the cheerleader, for those of you who know who she is. And I got hit on when I was Helen by dudes. And to see their faces when they hear a man's voice on the other side is priceless. Anyways, but that's a true story. It was a Saturday. It was the Saturday after Thanksgiving that year in 2005, and I knew in my heart, I needed to go to the only youth service I knew that I was, I only gone once that year, 
and I needed to give my life to Jesus, or I just knew for some reason if I don't, I'm going to lose my life. I'm going to lose it and not in a good way. It was when everything started for me. That's when I started cussing up like a sailor. I started drinking like it's no one's business, and I was uh, stuck in addiction to pornography. Everything was happening, and it was that day that I knew I had a feeling if I don't make a decision, and it felt for some reason like today, it's going to happen sooner than later. And I am so grateful for that moment, so grateful for that. Like, like as I was telling you as earlier, it's just a simple, weak yes. And all I knew to do was say yes and say, I, I want to give you my life. And I want to tell you this. It's that nothing is lacking where everything is given. And I didn't have a lot to give, but nothing was lacking. It was a full offering to the Lord, and the Lord accepted it. And ever since then, so many things happened as well. A lot of things got exposed in my life. I'll tell you that one day whenever we're talking about relationships um, and, and or whatever. It might be freedom, whatever. It, one day we'll talk about it. Um, but... What I want to say is that some of the things I did do in my 20s was I did about three different types of Nazarite vows. And Nazarite vows, basically, if you want to read this, if you care to read it, just read Numbers chapter 6. There's, there, are, there, was a young, there was a group of young people called Nazarites. And these were, the, these were young people who were not necessarily in the priesthood at the time but wanted to make this life's decisions to be as close to God as possible. And now I know because of Jesus' blood and the, the new covenant that we have the indwelling spirit, right? Thank God for that. It's in, and Paul says that the Holy Spirit is the guarantee for us in order for Jesus to come back. And so it's almost like the down payment, he says it in one point. But it's like I know we have that. But at the same time, I wanted to make external and practical decisions for my life so that I know that I'm making the most decisions possible to draw close to Jesus. And the least amount of things outside of me are hindering me. That was when I left. Somebody said to me, an older gentleman said, I got smart and dumbed down. I left my, my smartphone for about six years at the time. And I got a flip phone. And my wife hated it when we were married because uh, it's horrible reception. It's just the worst. I left all of social media, and I left it again just this May because it's hard for me to just want to keep it because it's so distracting. And, it, and this is probably the longest I've held it. It was about a year and a half or two. And those things just tend to want to make me draw close to Jesus. And there was, uh, for the worship people in, this, in the room, there was a moment where the Lord said to me, if you remove all worldly distractions... As it relates to movies, and that's hard because I love movies, and you might hear me quote some tonight. And I love music. Um, and, and he said, if you just let go of these things, I will speak to you in a way that you could release new songs. And it, honestly, the songs that I've ever released are just songs in the prayer room. You, you're, I never record anything, and I do that on purpose. It's just I just love singing to Jesus. And it, so that was, that was all it was. And those songs were what I was talking about tonight, just singing and singing my way into the truth. But those Nazarite vows, one of the one of the the the, the points of the Nazarite vow, it says that the Nazarites won't uh, won't cut their hair. Part of the vow was to let their hair grow. And some of you, if you saw me from a distance uh, two years ago when we got here, two and a half years ago, my hair was right here. 
I had my hair. That was a six-year vow that I was just ending at that time that started in 2016 when we were, we did a 40-day fast um, on, just on liquids. It was so beautiful because I lost 40 pounds, and yes, I gained them back. And it was, it was amazing. It was incredible. And I was sold out. And, and I feel like that, those moments marked my life because we, convinced, we were convinced that the Lord was calling our family to missions and was calling our family to just say yes to a simple lifestyle. Uh, I mean, we, we had what we thought at the time was like uh, the perfect Christian lifestyle. We had a beautiful home. We had awesome kids that were growing up. We, I had two I had, I had a job at the church. I had a, a lot of free time to be in the prayer room. And then a second job that I had, I, I, was, I was travel the world just as a caregiver. And I've been to 33 different countries. And I'm like, this is amazing. Like, and I love Jesus. My, I love my wife. And all that stuff laid down. We sold our home, sold our car. My car sold in two days. Got myself a bike. All these things happened. And I'm like, I'm selling everything. And we literally got rid of everything. We got rid of our TV, our movies, everything, just so that we can be intentional in our home. We can be intentional with one another, with our kids and my wife and I. And because we, like, we're not holding on to any of these things. We literally left to YWAM Kona. And, well, before we left, this is going to be a separate topic. because Some of you might want to hear this one day. It was actually the worst season, one of the worst and hardest seasons of my life where the Lord was uprooting a lot of bitterness and offense I had towards leadership and people. And when I say offense and bitterness, my wife can tell you, and she'd probably be the only one that will tell you because I, I never go into details for sake of covering people. It was legitimate things that were being done and happening to me. And, and the Lord, and it was just me and the Lord. I did not go through counseling, and that's on purpose, and I'm hoping today's message will help you as well. If you're in that type of difficult season, I'm praying for you. I know exactly what it's like to be there, um, and, and hard moments and all that stuff. And so I'm grateful for those moments. Uh, now, in hindsight, obviously, it's so hard in the moment. And every single day in tears, feeling like this is the last one, like I'm done, like I'm going to give up. And it was never about giving up on Jesus. It was just giving up on the church. So the fact that I'm here, to me, it's a miracle, honestly. And, uh, yeah, and all that, in, in the midst of all that, we were also youth pastors. I directed the House of Prayer back in L.A. We were young adult pastors, worship leaders, all these things. And it's like, and it it's probably sounds more exciting than it is. It's just a Hispanic church. If you're available, you just say yes. That's why. All right. So it's, it's not that I'm that amazing. It's just that I was available. Okay. Just so you know, true story. Uh, for those of you who have been to Hispanic churches, you know. And, but those Nazarite vows and all those things were incredible because the Lord led me in so many ways in that, in, in that moment. Um, and it has brought me to this now. And I'm feeling like to some extent it's like full circle for us because we were doing what we're doing now. We were in the house of prayer, discipling young people. And that was high schoolers at the time. And and now it's young adults. And, of course, it's not all of you. And it's just those that are, at the moment, feel to draw close to us. And our doors are open. And we love it. And we, we love you guys. We pray for you guys just about daily. And so I'm honored to be here. And I'm hoping that what I have to share with you, you could take with you um, forever. Amen.
So, beholding Jesus for longevity. This is the goal, okay? I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you, and then I'm going to tell you, and then I'm going to explain to you what I told you, all right? The goal is this. My goal tonight is that you will get a vision for being rooted in Christ for longevity, that you would get a vision for being rooted in Christ for longevity. What do I mean by that? It's my genuine desire that you would last for more than just a moment or a season, but until the end. That you would be in Christ forever. Not just for a hype or a moment of excitement or whatever it might be, a platform because you think something's going to happen for you, but that you would fall in love with Jesus and that you would remain in him forever. That's my genuine desire for every single one of you, that you would get provoked tonight by the man Christ Jesus more so than you are right now. Every single one of us, I pray this for myself as well, for longevity, what I mean by longevity is that you would be rooted like a tree. And, and one of the examples that the scriptures gives us is like a palm tree. A palm tree can withstand heat, can withstand horrible storms, can withstand Florida weather. If you've seen it on the news, it's like that thing is leaning like there's no tomorrow, but it's still there the next day. It's like and, and it's intentional that the Bible talks about that type of tree. Uh, and it's, it's saying that we need to be rooted. So that's my goal. My desire is that you would remain forever. Matthew 24, verse 13, Jesus says himself, okay, Matthew 24, the whole passage is about him talking about what it's going to look like at the end of the age because the disciples are asking him questions. And in Matthew 24, 13, Jesus says, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. We're talking about endurance. We're talking about longevity. But the way you get there, which we're going to talk about in a bit, and it's going to be my favorite part of the message, is beholding Jesus. Is looking at the man and the person of Jesus. Because, guys, it's not going to be wishful thinking that's going to get you there. And I'm sorry, it's not going to be uh, even, even it's, going to, it's going to take a lot more than just a moment of worship. You, don't, you can't go deep in a moment. You can't go deep with God in one podcast or even in one message. You can't go deep with the Lord because you showed up to the prayer room once. Don't get me wrong. I am not disqualifying those things as the fact that the Lord sees your little moments, your little yes as longevity for reaching. And he's saying yes with you. That's why I said earlier, it's your weak yes, his will, and you find yourself in the greatest story ever. It's your walk with God. And I, I will tell you this. I am 100% certain that if you say yes every single day, as weak as it is, when you die, you will not regret it. I think, and my fear is, that the only thing I think I'm going to regret is not giving more and not saying yes more. I personally don't want that for myself nor for you. Why, there's a song, why wait for tomorrow when you can have him right now? Why wait? And so how we're going to get there is this. It's getting an understanding of the importance of being rooted. We're going to talk about three different things, and the last one is my favorite. The first one is being rooted in the love of Jesus, being rooted in his word, and then being rooted in the beauty of who he is. 
as a man. So making sense of your life. Before we get there, I want to help you make sense of your life. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, I hope so. Look, we've, we've been getting some amazing messages from Billy these past weeks on Matthew chapter 6. I want to I boil it down for you guys in one little moment. As, as I was praying to the Lord today, I got this, this little thing, and I hope it makes sense. So forgive me if it comes out really messy because it probably is. It's that, that prayer of Matthew chapter 6 where he says, Our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As I was praying, asking the Lord about that, it's that that prayer, that small little prayer is a prayer that Jesus was leading us to pray for the redemption of what happened in Genesis, looking for what's going to happen at the end in Revelation. For example, he's saying, our Father who's in heaven, holy is your name. What happened in the book of Genesis is that man sinned. God decided to leave when it, he didn't have to, but because holiness and unholy cannot dwell together, and he departed, and we are on the earth, and we're having to pay for that. And now we find ourselves in Matthew chapter 6, that because of Jesus, we're able to talk to the Father. And guys, the fact that he even says he is your Father, that in itself is already a miracle. That fact that the Genesis 1 God wants to identify himself with you as a Father, that's a, that's a miracle. And the fact that he wants to dwell with us, which is why Jesus says, as on earth as it is in heaven. Well, what's on earth? The Father, fully. It's what we're longing for. Now, there's one thing. Okay, we'll talk about this another day, and I'm sure Billy will. It's one thing is the first coming of the Lord. And the second thing is the second coming of the Lord. But one thing that I'm looking forward to is the coming of the Father. It's when Jesus is bringing and introducing the Father. There's so many things that Jesus says, for example, in, in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10 and 11, where he says, I am going to proclaim, he says to the Father, I'm going to declare your name to my brothers and to my sisters. It's so beautiful. And, I mean, there's so many things in there, but we won't go, won't go in there. But here's, I want to help make sense of your life. Hopefully. That's my desire. The Christian life, your life, if you're saying yes to Jesus, it's like, imagine yourself, okay, forgive me for, P, uh, P, what is it, PTSD, post-traumatic experience, okay, anyways, forgive me for the triggers, does they say triggers, I know, everyone got lost, so forgive me for the triggers, picture yourself in a classroom and you're about to take a test. And Jesus, Jesus is the instructor. And you're at the desk. Imagine right now this is a classroom. Jesus is the instructor, and he's walking around, putting down the test on every single person's desk. And you're looking at this test like, I'm not going to pass this. Like, I know for a fact. And you look up, and you're like, Lord, come on, you know me. Let's be serious. I'm not going to pass this. And this, guys, this is the, the most incredible part for me. That if you would picture him and he says, look down again. And the, the page is filled with all the right answers. 
And then he tells you, now look at the name on the sheet, and it's your name. That's the Christian life. Jesus gives us this test, figuratively speaking. He gives us the answers. And as a good leader that he is, he says, now let me help you understand the material on the test. Let me walk you through it. The test is passed, guys. And the Lord just wants us to walk us through it. He put your name on it. I'll give you a verse for it if you want it. 2 Corinthians 5.21, where it says that he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. What does that mean? He took our lives as if our life, as your life, as if it was his, and gave you his as if it was yours. And all you did was say a weak yes. That's beautiful, guys. Do you guys get the picture? I'm going to give you another one. Close your eyes for a moment. Just for a moment. Without holding it too long, think about all the bad decisions you've ever made. Now, I know, don't, don't stay there too long. We don't want to go into depression tonight. We're not praying for deliverance tonight, guys. Just, just for a moment. I know, I know as soon as I said that, one, at least one immediately came to your head. And it's probably the one that you're still dealing with. But think about the, the bad decisions you've made into your life, all right, with your eyes closed, just so you're not distracted. I want you to get a picture of Jesus. How did he get you here? Despite your bad decisions, how did he get you here? And take you one step further. How did he get you here without violating your will? Guys, he is the best leader to imperfect followers. He is so good. When you're ready, you can open your eyes, but I'm going to keep going. He's so good. So that's why I'm talking about longevity. Longevity happens more than because you said yes, but because of his faithfulness. Because he is that good. Just because I wrote it down, I want to tell you is that anyone can start a race. But not even when it finishes. The Lord wants to help you finish it. What you started, he wants to help you finish it. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 says that he is faithful to finish the good work that he has started in you. He calls it a good work. You call it a mess. But he says it's good. It's a good work. And he's faithful to complete it. And this is why I, I, I want it when we go to the end of this, it's just talking about Jesus is so that we can fall in love with Jesus. And I'm going to try to talk to you about Jesus in a way that's tangible that you can walk away with something here to talk to him about. Like actually talk to you about who he is. And the reason why is that because 
this phrase hit me when I heard it years ago, is that anyone can quit but a person in love. Anyone can quit but a person in love. As weak as it might be, whether you've been following the Lord for a week, a year, or 10 years, as weak as that love might be, it's real. It's real. And in case you wanted it, it's Psalm 92, 12, where the righteous are like a palm tree. I just want to share this just because, just so you know my heart, my, my personal life's goal, you could keep it for yourself as well, is just to be faithful and grateful and to go low and slow. To be faithful and grateful and just to go low and slow. And if you've spent any amount of time with me besides a five-minute conversation, I think you might start seeing it. I'm never in a hurry. Why? Why does this matter? John 15, 16. Jesus says to the disciples, you did not choose me, I chose you. And I did this, he's saying, so that you would bear fruit that would last. You would bear fruit that would last. So, being rooted in the love of Jesus. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16 through 19. It says this, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, and the depth, and the height, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. If you don't know, if you step into that prayer room, there is a stand with sheets, and one of those sheets on there is the apostolic prayers. Do yourself a favor and grab one. Um, it's, it, for the most part, it's the prayers that Paul prayed. Not all of them are Paul's prayers, but it's the prayers that Paul prayed. It's, and this is one of those prayers, is Ephesians chapter 3, that the church of Ephesus would come to know the love of Jesus and that they would be rooted and grounded. It's, it's these moments, for example. So Paul writes, has written a, a, a lot of the epistles in the New Testament. And in his prayers, it feels like there, he comes to a moment where he's like, I can't even teach you this. I have to pray it over you. And so that's when he prays that he would grant you According to, according by faith, that he would dwell in your hearts and so on, and you would be rooted and grounded, know how high, how wide, how deep, and how long is the love of Jesus that surpasses all understanding. And he's like, I can't teach you this. I need the Holy Spirit to show you. I'm going to pray it over you. That's what, these, that's what the apostolic prayers are, and we use those to pray in the prayer room for a lot of things when we're in intercession sets or in those rumbles in the evenings for those of you who have been joining us. But why is this important? And it's because the, the Lord is asking that and, and, and that you, I'm going to invite you, that you could pray that over yourself as well. Lord, root me and ground me in your love. Help me know how high, wide, deep, and long your love is. That I would know the love that surpasses all understanding. Let me, give you, let me, let me tell you why it's so important. 
and 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 uh, in regards to just being rooted and grounded in love, he this is Paul, okay, writing to the church of Ephesus, all right, in Acts chapter 20. For those of you who have read your Bibles, if not, I'm gonna encourage you to read your Bibles, okay. Personally, I prefer a physical Bible to read. That's me. I just I want to get the word in my hands, feel it. Um, in Acts chapter 20. The church of Ephesus is experiencing a revival. And guys, now get this. If you've ever read it, the revival that they're experiencing, it's not all beautiful. People, there was a stadium gathering at some point, okay? When we talk about stadium gatherings, we think we're going to get the best worship team. We're going to get the best speaker. And, and we're just going lit, to lit the place on fire. We're going to light it on fire. But this stadium gathering was a gathering of angry people who wanted to kill Paul because of what he was doing, which was preaching the gospel, bringing the message of Jesus. This was a different type of stadium gathering. And there were burning books, and they were burning their idols. And there was like the whole idol that was happening of Idol Diana, if I'm not mistaken. Everything just got flipped upside down, and there was revival in the region. And revival comes with persecution, and this is what they experienced. There was hundreds and thousands of people saved in that moment that Paul was there. And Paul was there, in case you want to know, between uh, the year 54 and 57 when this revival was happening. Years down the road, in between 60 and 62, Paul writes the letter to Ephesians from prison. He's writing to them what I just read. These six chapters in Ephesians. And one of the prayers that he prays for them is that they would be rooted and grounded in the love of Jesus. And guess what happens in Revelation chapter 2 in the year 90 and 95? This is just 30 years after that. Revelation chapter 2, John, the apostle John is speaking. And he is writing to the church of Ephesus, the same one that experienced the revival, the same one that Paul wrote that they would be rooted and grounded in the love of Jesus. And now John in Revelation chapter 2 is telling them, I see your works. I see how you hate these things, the evil things. But I have, Jesus says to them, I have one thing against you. You have fallen away from your first love. Guys, falling in love with Jesus does not happen on accident. Or because you read that passage tonight. The church that experienced revival got written one of the best epistles ever is being rebuked because they're doing all the right things, but they're, they've fallen away from their first love. I'm, I'm bringing up to you the, 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 how crucial it is to be rooted in the love of Jesus. And that does not happen on accident. That does not happen on accident. And so that's the church of Ephesus and. Falling and staying in love with Jesus has to be intentional. The fruit and the result of those who seek Jesus intentionally are vastly different than those that don't. I'm going to say that one more time and then give you an example. We're going to end on good news, guys. Don't worry. Those that seek Jesus on purpose. have a different fruit and result at the end of their life than those that didn't, even if you were in the church. 
Here's what I'm going to say about that. It's, it's a possibility. This is, I, I am not prophesying here. It's a possibility that in five years, ten years, maybe one of you is not following the Lord. Maybe one of you is offended with God. There's a high possibility. When in 2005 that I was t- t- talking to you about, uh, actually it was in January uh, 2006, I went to a three-day retreat at, at the church that I was at in, in L.A. And there was me and 15 other dudes. It did not take but three years later, and none of them were walking with the Lord. And by none of them, I mean even those that were serving including some of the pastors that were serving at the time. That is sad news for me. Because these were guys that I was going after the Lord with, and they're no longer walking with the Lord. Hebrews 11.6 says that God rewards those who diligently seek him. There's a diligence behind seeking the Lord. There's an on-purpose mentality behind it. Does that make sense? Think, uh, Guys, it's as simple as if you're in a relationship, you do things on purpose. It's not wishful thinking. I do things on purpose because and to express my love to my wife. John 59, one of my favorite passages ever, and it's probably the one that I pray the most, and it's the one that I'm teaching my sons currently, where Jesus says to the disciples, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. And then he says, abide in my love, remain in my love. As the, he says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Stay there. <laughs> Don't move from there. And then he says, if you obey my commands, you will abide in my love. There's an on purpose to it. If you take that, if you obey my commands, then you will abide. If you take that by itself, it sounds like you're just going to be a performer. But if you encounter the love first, it's like, tell me what else I can do. Because when you're in love, you just go all out. You act a fool, let's be honest. You don't care who's looking because you're in love. You don't care what it takes. This is not dating advice, but when a guy hears no, he, he hears try harder. <laughs> I know the girls in the church said amen, but <laughs> that's not dating advice, guys. How much more in our relationship with Jesus? And I'm not saying he's saying no to you. He's saying a full yes. 
Go after him. Go after him. That's the, that's, that's, let's just move on. Being rooted (laughs) in the word. (laughs) Being rooted in the word. I think I am. If you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 8. You could turn on your Bibles and scroll with me to Luke chapter 8. And it's verse 11 through 15. And it's this. Now the parable is this. He's, he's explaining a parable that he just uh, shared with the people that were with him. Okay? And it's, and it's, again, we're talking about now being rooted in the word. Okay? Being rooted in the word. In other words, by, when I, so guys, when I say rooted, I mean letting it go deep. That it would go deep in you. I'm going to give you an example about deep. Deep is just, it's, think about your favorite band. It took time for them to be your, like, the band, your band. And it's like, it went deep now, and you're like, no one's going to talk you out of them being your favorite band. Let the the same thing happen with us with the word. Like, that it goes so deep that no one's going to talk you out of it. I'm just giving small, dumb pictures just so that it makes sense for all of us. And I'm saying that as a dad because I was like, how do I explain this to my son as simple as possible? Luke chapter 8, verse 11. He says, now the parable is this. And as I'm, re- as I'm reading it and you're reading it, you may or may not find, well, sorry, you will find yourself in here. You're going to have to decide who you want to be, though, at the end. Regardless of who you find yourself to be as we're reading it, make a decision. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God, okay? Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. In the next one, verse 13. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. And when, because it has no roots, who believe for a while, and in time, the tempta- in, in temptation, they fall away. 14. Now the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard it, go out and are choked with cares, the riches and the pleasures of life, and bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones who fell on good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it. In other words, they walk it out. It's not just about hearing it. And bear fruit with patience. That's the endurance part. So you're either the person that hears the word, and it literally goes in one ear, out the other, and the devil just, that's, that was easy. And there's, there's nothing. It's like, it's like you're hitting a, it's hitting a wall. The second person is the person... Let me go back to it just so I don't mess this up for you. It's the person that he says that because of temptation. That's not, that's not only temptation of sin. It's when an opportunity comes before you and you just take it. And it's like you received it really excited because of a moment of hype. And I'm not talking that. I'm not saying that here is hype. I'm just saying that the problem with a lot of our generation or your generation, even mine as a millennial, is that we're going after platforms when the Lord is asking you to go after the prayer closet. 
And you get it with joy because you think the Lord is going to create that for you. And when you don't get it, I'm out. The third one, which is maybe, uh, you're probably in the second or the third one. I'm hoping that we're all on the last one, the fourth one. The third one is, I hear the word. It's good. I love it. Oh, but look at that over there. That's beautiful. I can have that. I can have the riches. I can have this. I can have the pleasures. I can build something. I can build a name. And it's choked. It says that it's choked. And then there's the one that is a good soil. And that person receives it, hears it in simplicity. That's the noble heart. It's like, I don't know what to do with this, but help me, God. Help me, Lord. And they do it with patience, with endurance. There's no hype to it. There's no platform to it. There's a, there's a hiddenness and there's a simple secret yes in your heart to Jesus every single day. And that person bears fruit forever. And that's the word. That's the word. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to confront you a bit if I could as like an older brother to you if I could. For all of us, what have we done with the past seven messages that we got from Billy? I've said to people, and I say it to you, is that more than an amazing message, our response should be more amazing. Our response to the word should be more amazing. And it doesn't have to be flashy, guys. It doesn't have to be flashy. I'm saying if you're praying it, praise God. Keep doing it, guys. Keep doing it. If you haven't, just say, Jesus, I sign up right now. I'm not trying to condemn anybody. Just It's as simple as that. Lord, I haven't prayed it. I want to learn. I got to go back and hear that, hear that again. Help me pray to you the way you taught the disciples to pray. And the reason why I say that, and I don't know if Billy mentioned this, but it's, it, they, the disciples ask in Luke chapter 9 the same thing. When they say to Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. As John has taught his disciples. And then Jesus says, pray, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But the amazing thing before he teaches them what to pray is the fact that they even asked. Teach us to pray. They could have asked anything, all right? That's Luke chapter 11 when they asked that, verse 2 and 3. If you go back, they've already seen miracles. They've already seen people be delivered. They've already seen people be raised from the dead. They've already seen bread and fishes multiply. I'm talking about they've seen it. They've heard him teach. They've heard him preach. They've heard him heal people just by touching them. And the disciples did not ask, teach us to preach like you preach. Teach us to deliver like you deliver. They didn't ask, teach us to do miracles like you do. They, they landed on the fact that if I can get your prayer life, I can get those things. Teach me to pray. All you have to do is get yourself in a prayer closet. And by prayer closet, I mean if it's your bedroom, it's your car, whatever it might be. Just, Jesus, teach me to pray. Just teach me to pray. Jesus came a long way just to get us to pray. One of the most beautiful gifts we get from the cross is that we get to talk to him. Is that we have access 
to talk to him. The blood is not just about the forgiveness of our sins and cleansing of our unrighteousness, but that grants us access. Here's what I mean by access. For those of you who have been to our family nights at our home, my kids don't need your permission to draw near to me. They come to me. If my son was here right now, he wouldn't care. He'd come. He'd probably be up here in the front with me. It's that type of access. I don't need your permission to draw close to the Father. I got it. Because I'm, I'm blood I'm blood bought. I'm his son. I'm his daughter. I don't need anyone's permission. I have it. I have access freely and fully. In Hebrews chapter 4, 16, he says that we can come to the throne of grace with confidence asking for mercy in our time of need. You can come to the throne of grace with confidence, guys. Boldly. Confidence and boldly. There's access for you to draw close to Jesus. And my hope is that that's where we're going to land on. It's talking about Jesus. And that you would walk with the simple understanding that you can talk to him right now. Even as I'm sharing on your way home. Whatever it might be. I just love talking about Jesus. Colossians 3.16 is that where Paul is saying, where he's saying to the church of Colossae that the word of God would dwell richly in your hearts. That's what I want for me. That's what I want for you. I want the word of God to dwell richly in my, in my heart, in your heart. For example, it's one thing for, it, for me to memorize the scriptures and some of them, I mean, I've had these in my heart for, for, for a long time now. But it's one thing to memorize them, but I wanted to go deep. Like, I, I, I want to know how to walk that out. I want to know what it means that you love me as the Father loves you. What is that? I, I, I have to let it go deep. In other words, uh, I was saying this earlier, it's that I, want, I would rather be, and I've heard this from someone, is that I would rather be a mile deep and an inch wide than an inch deep and a mile wide. I want to go after the word. I want to go after his love. Psalm chapter 1 is just a really good psalm. If you want to read it, it's basically talking about the righteous believer who they don't sit with the scornful, with the ungodly, with the mockers, but they meditate on the word of God day and night, and they delight in it. They find a delight in the word of God. I, I, you've probably understood this before. And you, you, this might be you. You're in your bed at midnight on Thursday. And it's a lot easier to scroll on TikTok than it is to get your word. There's a lot coming against you when you're trying to get spiritual and closer to the Lord. Because as soon as you open your Bible, it's... Don't you get this weird sleep come upon you? And I'm sure some of you have said what I've said years ago. I'm going to go to sleep, but I can't sleep. I'm going to read my Bible. Because for some reason, it just gets me there faster. Better than melatonin. There, there is an actual spiritual thing happening externally when we're actually trying to go deep in the word. It, it, that's not an accident thing, guys. 
But how is it that you find so much energy to scroll? Watch, yeah. But the word of God can, and I am prophesying this, will dwell richly in your hearts. And it will bear good fruit. And Jesus says that it would bear fruit 30, 60, 100 fold when you hear it. I want to encourage you to something very, very simple. And then we're going to get into the last part of this. Build history with Jesus. Build history with Jesus. Don't build a platform. Don't build a name. Build history with Jesus. I I won't talk about how. Because I hate, I actually do hate talking about myself, believe it or not. But I've had many opportunities to build a name and a platform. And I said no. And my wife would know those and maybe the people around me would say, would understand what they are. And anything that I'm doing right now has never, ever, ever been because I raised my hand. Even sharing with you guys here tonight, even being part of Gatekeepers, never raised my hand. Even being here in Atlanta, even being part of the prayer room, anything. I've never raised my hand. And that's hard. <laughs> but what I'm saying is about building history with God, I'm going to make it very practical for you guys. This is for the guys and the girls. Do yourself a favor. Buy a moleskin journal, a physical one. And write down what you're talking and praying to the Lord. Be, be on purpose, because the conviction comes to, write the date. Write the date on it. Because then you realize when you open it up again, you're like, oh, it's been three months. <laughs> and you're like, but you know me, Lord. You know my heart. <laughs> Come on. We've all been there. And I'm sure a lot of us have busted this. <laughs> and you're like, behold this way. I was like, no, that's not for me. That's, that's, that's for Caleb. <laughs> I know. <laughs> okay, hold on. I want to tell you something good in a bit, but I think it's all good. But anyways. Write, write it down. Write down your simple prayers. One of my number one prayers, Lord, help me. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> Other ones, as I'm reading a passage, for example, the Luke chapter 8 one, Lord, help me be the good soil. Why, why am I asking you to write it? My hope is that you would have the same experience I did with the Lord. Five years down the road, I started opening up these old journals. And I am in tears. Because as simple as, I'm, I'm in tears and I'm laughing. I'm crafting at some point. I'm crying and laughing because it's like, I'm looking at that prayer. I was like, that's so dumb. It's like, I was, I was having a hard time over that. But my wife knows. She's laughing at me now. She's crafting, you know. And... But, but it meant something to me at the moment when I wrote it, and I was like, Lord, help me with this. Five years down the road, 
all my heart can say is look back and say, you did it. I don't know how, but you did it. I don't know how. You're trying to figure it out and scroll through the page. You don't know how. C.S. Lewis has a quote where he says, isn't it funny how day by day nothing changes, but when you look back, everything's different. It's that building history with the Lord. And you physically have something. And I know that I don't think anybody in this room is married, but regardless, I want to encourage you to something. For your future family. You know what I mean. <laughs> I married them, by the way. So, so it was real. What was I saying that you distracted me? Marriage. Married. Oh, got it. Thank you. No one's married. Okay. Do yourself another favor. All right, I'm talking to you like a brother tonight, guys, all right? So if it feels like a living room, I wish it was a living room. One day we will. Because um, this is, uh, this is uh, my, my only part of the series called Beholding Jesus. <laughs> there you go. Somebody got to know. It's this. Wait, what was I saying? You guys <laughs> No one's married. <laughs> Do yourself another favor. Get yourself a journaling Bible. I'm going to tell you why. I'm, I'm just sharing this with you because I love you guys and we're family. I think we're family. And, and whether or not I know your name just yet, it's fine. It's like we're building it, okay, guys? Like it's, we're building it. That's what I mean by family. Like, I want to build it with you guys, okay? I understand. I, I don't throw that word out there lightly. I know what that means, just so you know. Um, I, I, I just want to say this before I continue. When, when my wife and I said yes to, to when Billy asked us to pray about coming alongside him with gatekeepers, we knew that it was yes until the Lord said so. Even our yes and that was for longevity. We didn't say, like, all right, we're going to do a two-year assignment. We're going to do a three-year assignment. I don't think we've ever signed up with that type of mentality to anything. So it's like we're here just for, for this long. When I said yes, it's because I said yes. So that's what I mean when I say to you we're family. It's because, Lord willing, you're here in a year, and we're going to be great friends. But many of you are not married. Get yourself a journaling Bible. And I'm telling you this because we're friends. So I bought myself, when I turned 30, six years ago, six and a half years ago, I bought myself a journaling Bible. And I had uh, two kids at the time. And I was like, all right, I'm about to turn 30. Jesus turned his, you know, something about guys turning 30 just feels like, all right, he, he started his ministry at 30. I'm going to do something like it's, I got to be honest with you, it's a little scary because he, he lived about two and a half years more, and I'm six years in, and I'm like, I hope it means something, Lord. Like, I'm, I've outlived you on the earth so far. All the older guys said, Jesus, help me. <laughs> but 
I bought a journaling Bible, and on the, on the margins, instead of writing the revelations and the things that I was getting from the Lord, I was taking the passages and writing prayers to my boys. And my hope is that I get to fill that, that in 10 years, Lord willing, I'm there. When my oldest turns 18, my history with God is going to be his gift. And that he could have this and he can walk with it. And he would share it with his brothers because I'm, I'm not about to write four. <laughs> in case you didn't, I have four boys in case you didn't know. They're going to share. I think, all right, you give me the epistles this week. I'll take the prophets next week. Right. I don't know how they're going to share it, but they're going to share it. That's my goal. My goal is that, guys, I, I, I want to give as an inheritance to my boys my history with God. That I did not waste my mornings with the Lord, that they would go and live beyond me. And they would mean something to my boys. I don't care who you think or what you think of me or who you know me as. I want to be known in my home as a dad that loves and prays. Because if they don't know it, who cares if you know it? How I know the word is going deep is I measure my tenderness with my wife. If my heart is not tender and I know it when it's not. I, I'm, I, I'm needing repentance. And so that, those are my little practicals. And then we end up now with my favorite part, being rooted in the beauty of Jesus. I want to talk to you guys, if I could, just about the person of Jesus. Uh, I think sometimes we forget that he's a real man. And I get it. I, I understand it because he's not in the room physically just yet. But in a moment, he will be. And we forget that he's a real man with a real heart, real emotions, real elbows, real kneecaps. It's a real man we're talking about. I, I say that on purpose because when I remind myself of that, I'm like, I'm talking to someone. I'm not just throwing up prayers in the air. I'm talking to someone. There's, there's a person on the other side of these pages. And my goal in reading the word is to connect with that man. It's not just to get some knowledge. I, I want to connect with the real man behind the pages. And my hope and goal is that when we read those, when we read the pages, we can take it into simple conversations with Jesus. I don't ask familiar or, or common questions to the Lord. I ask questions like, what was the weather like that day? I'm just trying to be his friend. I'm not trying to get a message out of him. What was the, what, what was the, the, the expression on your father's face when he said this to you? Wait, what was the expression on the disciples when you said this to them? What was on your heart when this happened? How did that make you feel?
those types of questions, I pause and ask the Lord. And it goes deep in conversation with him. Because I'm going beyond the pages. I'm talking to the man. I remember once, and I'll share this with you, and then I'll go through these passages. All I have for you right now is Bible, so I hope you write them down. I remember when I started doing this some years ago, and I was reading John chapter 1, verse 1 to 3, where it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and he dwelled with him. And, and it's talking about Jesus as the Word, and that he was with him since the beginning, the Father and the Son. And so when I paused and was thinking in my heart, okay, what's happening here? It's you and the Father together. And it's been like this forever. What is that like for you? And at the moment, it meant so much because it's, it's, I've come now eight years since my, my, my dad has passed away. And I'm asking the Lord, what is it like that you're in perfect fellowship with your dad? What was the look on his face? And I'm, I'm actually getting pictures in my heart that the father is smiling over the son. And that it's perfect. And for some, way, for some reason, he wants to bring me into that. He didn't have to. And I'm asking him, I'm like, what is it like? I was like, and I'm talking to him as a friend. I was like, I would, I, I'm no longer going to know what it's like to be embraced by a dad, by my dad. What is it like for you? What is it, what is it like for you? To have a perfect relationship with your father, because I never knew that. My dad was a present but distant father growing up. And so I'm asking the Lord these types of questions, and it's taken me into a, into a deep place with him that no teaching could. That's why I'm talking about this. Matthew 16, verse 13. Where Jesus is asking, and we're almost done here, guys. Matthew 16, verse 13, Jesus is asking to the disciples, and he's saying, who do people say the Son of Man is? And then the answer, some people say the prophet, some people say Elijah, some people say John the Baptist. But the, hear the question, okay? This is a specific version where he says, who do people say the Son of Man is? And then they answer him, and then he switches the question, and he says, who do you say that I am? He's tying himself to this name, Son of Man. And in case you didn't know, it's the name that Jesus calls himself by the most in, the whole, in all the Gospels. It's the Son of Man. And he says, who do people say is the Son of Man? And then he says, who do you say that I am? And in that moment, Peter gets the revelation, you are the Son of Man. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Peter is getting the revelation of the fact of Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, where Daniel is saying that I saw with the clouds of heaven one like a son of man coming down, and he approached the ancient of days, and he was brought near before him, and he was crowned with the crown of glory, and he was given a kingdom and authority and all the glory and dominion and a kingdom that has no end. Peter is getting the revelation that this is who you are. You're that guy. So when Jesus says the Son of Man must be taken up, it baffles my mind how that revelation that Daniel has in chapter 7 is the one that's about to go to the cross. How is that possible? 
And I think, I feel that that's going to be the question that we're going to be confronted with at, at the transition of the age. Who do you say that I am? At the transition of this age to the next, it's going to be the revelation of Jesus. And what you know about him and how well you loved him is going to say everything about what happens to you on the other side. Does that make sense? So who do you say that he is? I remember when we started the house of prayer back in 2005 in L.A. Oh, sorry, 2009. I, I was singing at the prayer room. And I, I hated the prayer room for one reason. It revealed how much I didn't know Jesus. Why? Because we're singing, we're doing worship with the word, and all, I'm, all I can say is, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, you're beautiful. Jesus, you're good. And that's all I had. I didn't know what it meant to say I love you. I didn't know what I meant when I said you're beautiful. Right? Because when we say beautiful, we're thinking appearance. But the Bible says that when he was beaten up, you couldn't even recognize him. And in, in actually in Isaiah, it says that Jesus was so, I'm paraphrasing here, Jesus was so normal that he was actually nothing to look on. Like, he was not a big deal. You get these blonde, they got this blonde, blue hair, sorry, blonde hair, blue-eyed Jesus on some of these. That's not who he was. And as a matter of fact, there's a possibility that I'm actually taller than him. And as a matter of fact, believe it or not, you're going to get mad at this one. I probably have his skin color. But he was nothing to look upon, especially when he went to the cross. But we get to look on him. We get to talk to him. We get to draw near to him. And we get to, and, and that's going to be the man that gets revealed. And who he is in your heart is going to say everything about where you are in the age to come. John 1, 1, 3, I gave you that one already. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 11, where it says that let this, let this mind be in you, which he's saying that let the mind of Christ be in you. And he says, who being equal to God did not count it as something to be grasped, but laid it down and became himself like a bondservant and, gave, and obeyed to the point of death, even death on a cross. And the Father gave him the name which is above all names, so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. It's Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 11. When I see that, it's talking about the humility of Jesus. I think that... One of the things that has grasped my heart the most is how humble Jesus is. The humility of a man is Jesus. And he's saying that that mind can be in me and I can be like him. This is what it means. Is that we see leadership anywhere. Okay, guys? Anywhere. It could be your boss. It could be in the church. And we hold on to our little measly power with all our grip. Like, I'm in charge here. Jesus is equal to the Father, and he held it open-handedly, with an open hand. He did not consider it something to be grasped. And he's just incredible. Ephesians chapter 1, 17, again, it's just one of those apostolic prayers where Paul is praying that the Father of glory would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, that your hearts would be enlightened with all understanding. He's praying that Jesus will be made known in your hearts. John chapter 4. This is how I've encountered the Lord the most. Because I, 
I don't know what I look like externally. I know how broken and just, I just, and honestly, it's probably one of my number one prayers. Lord, keep me a broken man. It really is one of my number one prayers. Keep me a broken man. And the reason why is because it keeps me dependent. It keeps me dependent on him. And John chapter 4 is the Samaritan woman. And this woman goes to the well at, the, at, at, at noonday when it's super hot and no one's there because she's been, like, uh, exiled from, her, from the other women in the, in the community. And Jesus is at the well with her, and he's asking her for water. And she starts saying, why are you talking to me? You're a man, and you're Jewish. I'm a Samaritan. Why are you asking me for a drink? Here's, here's the picture that I want to give you with that passage. That as I've gone through that passage, the Lord has ministered to my heart so much in my brokenness. Because here's a woman who, like you and like me, has every objection why Jesus should not draw near to her. He says to her, she says to him, sorry, I'm a woman, you're a man, you're Jewish, I'm a Samaritan, like you should not be talking to me. You have, you have your own objections as to why Jesus should not be drawing near to you. And guess what? Jesus loves so well and so deeply that in a moment he overlooks your objections so that he can draw near to you. And when you do that, you actually come to this place of knowing him and it's easy to repent because you see who he really is. She was so broken that her testimony went out through the town and people got saved because of her testimony. You might be here right now with objections and Jesus will break all of your objections and draw near to you. There's no person too far for the Lord to draw near to. John 12, 16. The disciples did not understand. I'm have you ever had this? It's happened to me a lot. You've probably read something tonight. Or let's say you read something two years ago, a year ago, and then you read it again a year later. You're like, oh, now it makes sense. Has that ever happened to you? When you read something again later on, you're like, oh, now it makes sense. That's what happened to the disciples. Jesus said many things to them. And then it's in that passage in John 12, 16, it says, but when he was glorified, everything that he said to them made sense. John 17, 24, where Jesus is praying for us, he's praying for all those who will believe. He says, Father, I desire that those who you have given me would be with me to see my glory because you have loved me before the foundations of the earth. He's praying for us that we would be with him, near him. See his glory. Again, the picture is that the Genesis 1 God longs and desires to be with you. Jesus and Judas. This is the part that the Lord has to help us. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20, 21, and 22, where it's saying that no deceit was found in him. And he committed no sin. That means, I was singing that in the prayer room one day. And that means that when Judas showed up to the garden to betray him with the people, Jesus says, what can I do for you, friend? He was not being sarcastic. He genuinely called him friend. 
It says that no deceit was found in his mouth. He really meant it. Kenneth, you can come up. We're going to close now. And the last thing I want to share with you is just this one simple phrase that the Lord has said to me over the years that has just delivered me from performance, has delivered me from fear of man, has delivered me from a lot of things. It's just a simple phrase. I delight in you. I delight in you. And it happened one morning in 2016. I was, it was about 4.30 in the morning, and I, I, was, I prefer to read in the dark with just the moonlight on it. And I closed my Bible, and I'm like, you're actually here right now. Why? And, and, I'm, and I keep talking to him, and I'm just whispering. And you enjoy me sitting in the dark talking to you, falling asleep. You're weird. Like, why? Like, why does this matter to you? And then that simple phrase came over, I delight in you. And I get this understanding. I was like, even when I'm falling asleep, even the moments that I did fall asleep, you delight in me. If there's anything I want to leave you guys with is that if I'm hoping you wrote those passages down or you remember one of them, you could just take one passage about Jesus and go deep for a year. Just talk to him. Again, my desire for you and for me is that we would be here in 10 years. We'd be here in 20 years. I'm not talking about here at Gig I'm talking about loving Jesus. We don't know where this is going to be in 10 years. The only thing you will take with you in eternity is your love for Jesus. Not your platform, your name, your money, your job, your degree, nothing. It's just your love for Jesus. And my desire is that we would know him. That we would genuinely love him. So if you would just close your eyes. Just so we're not distracted. So I'm just sharing this just because I see myself as an older brother to you guys. I, I cannot attribute me being here to anything else other than just going deep with Jesus. Jesus, my conversation and my history with Jesus is the only thing that got me through my father's death. It's the only thing that's getting me through right now, just my, my grandma having cancer. It's, it's what got us through, my wife and I, um, our second child was a miscarriage. It's what got me through when I went through my uh, moment of bitterness and offense and having to restore relationships and humble myself when the Lord was asking me to, even though it was not, it didn't feel like I was the one that's supposed to do that. It was my conversation with Jesus that got us through having to be able to give and lay down everything selling a house, giving away everything and just my wife and I two kids and five luggages and a box of my books, that's all we had it's my conversation with Jesus that is helping us live in community 
and even just being here right now. It's nothing but just the history and the, the time with Jesus. In whatever season you find yourself in, build history. What's going to be the hardest thing, it's the fact that you realize that it takes time. One of the hardest things to find in any generation is a faithful person. One that will last. And that's my prayer for you, that you and I will last. Build history with Jesus. Forget about positions and names and hype. Build history with Jesus. I've had the moment in 2016 when we did that 40-day fast. And at the end of it, literally on the last day, April 9th, 2016, I was leading worship in front of 50,000 people at the L.A. Coliseum. And yet my moment with, of prayer, talking to the Lord alone, was far better than leading worship in front of that many people. Build history with Jesus. praying for people and seeing them healed in Myanmar when we were there just a few years ago and yet my time with Jesus is far more crucial and better for me build history with Jesus even married to an amazing wife and having my awesome boys my times with Jesus are far better and the only way I can do any of that good or as good as possible is building history with Jesus. So as an older brother to you guys, as an uncle for some of you guys, whatever it is that you see me as, just build history, guys. Build history with him. So Father, I just pray in Jesus' name. Just, Father, I ask that the, your word would run swiftly and would dwell richly in their hearts. Lord, I declare I, that hearts in this room are good soil. That your word would not be choked. Your word would not be stolen by the devil. And your, and your word would not be scorched by the heat. But it would bear good fruit in every heart. I pray for the history that they build, the inheritance that they will give with you. So speak to them and meet them, Lord. And give them the simple questions to talk to you with, that they would build actual friendship with you. That you would be their friend. Just love you, Lord. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message ministered to you and that the Lord met you. You can follow us on Instagram at gatekeepersatl. We'll see you in the next episode.